1: Hello and welcome to a brand new Arse Blog Arsecast, right here on ArsBlog. Blog. Dot com. How are you? Why are you doing an Arscast? I hear you say because you've got to record an Arscast Extra today. Isn't that right? Yes, that is right. I am recording an Arscast Extra with James this afternoon, but as a special bonus podcast edition, now that I'm back in Ireland and back into the swing of things, I thought I'd find out a bit more about our new signing, Danny Ceballos. He uh, joined from Real Madrid last week on a season long loan. So we're going to talk about him primarily in this podcast. My voice, as you can hear, is still a bit croaky. I'm jet lagged. I don't really know what day it is, what time it is or anything else. However, Let's do it. Let's find out about Danny Ceballos. And with me to discuss that is the editor of Football Espana and also the author of a brand new book coming out next month called The Frying Pan of Spain Sevilla versus Real Betis. Real Betis is the club at which Danny Ceballos started his career. I'm delighted to welcome back to the show Colin Miller. Hi, Colin. Hi, Andrew. Thanks for having me on. My pleasure. Let's talk first a bit about Danny Ceballos and his. His career progression. Interestingly, he's uh, been on the books of both Sevilla and Real Betis. something that uh, is of great interest to you because you've got a book coming out about that. We'll talk about it in a little bit. But uh, as a player, how has his uh, career progressed?
0: Yeah, yeah, as you said, uh, Ceballos actually started out his career in the uh, Sevilla youth system, but he had he had some health problems um, early on as a child, and, and he ended up dropping out. And then he was he was picked up by Real Betis across town, and it was really at Betis where his potential was was fully realised. You know, he, he skipped. The, the traditional route of being of, of progressing through the club's B team he was elevated straight into the first team squad. due is his obvious talent really. Um, he quickly established himself as a star of the club, even though he was still only nineteen or twenty years old. Um, and he and he was a star for the Spanish under twenty one team as well. And it was really it was really through it, within that context that Real Madrid uh, signed him in twenty seventeen. They they triggered his release clause, which was around about sixteen million euros, um, which was seen as an absolute bargain. It was a little bit contentious at Betis because they thought that he was going to to renew his contract there and 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 pretty, essentially double double the clause that he had, had, but he didn't. He ended up going to Madrid um and probably from that point on i suppose most people are probably going to be slightly more familiar with his career although it has arguably stalled a little bit in the past two seasons yeah. um due, due to lack of first team opportunity and that's probably what has what has really fueled fueled this long move
1: yeah so i mean can we can we look into why exactly it is that zinedine Zin- Zin- zidane has decided that Ceballos is a player he can do without for next season Uh, obviously Madrid have made a lot of signings so far this summer there was talk that they would be willing to do a deal a permanent deal to see him leave for around 50 million euros that I think is out of Arsenal's price bracket certainly um, this summer when they're looking to spend their money elsewhere but you know is there something about him that didn't necessarily convince Zidane Um, he played fairly frequently last season but of course it was a really poor campaign for Madrid overall
0: yeah, um, I mean, it's, it's, when you look when you look at the two seasons that Sabios has had, you know, he's only started uh, seventeen league games uh, out, out of a possible what seventy six. So that's that. That really shows just just how how tough he's found it. And actually, the majority of those league starts were under both and Lopetegi and then Santiago Solari. So these the, the sort of return of Sudan in in March. Certainly, certainly didn't help his case. And let, let, let's let's establish it. I mean, Ceballos is a is a raw diamond of a player. You know, we're we're talking about a genuine potential superstar. He has all the qualities, all the assets, all the natural talent to really make it at the very top level. And I think that if he applies himself properly, he's certainly the future of Spain's midfield at international level. And he certainly has the potential to be that for any club side in the world that he wants it to be. No, I mean we we sort of spoke about his his starting at under twenty one level. It was you know he was named player of the tournament at the Euros in twenty seventeen. That was sort of just before his move to Madrid. And again, he starred this summer. Um, but like the, the the move to Madrid, we're obviously using the benefit of hindsight here, but it was a clear error of judgment um, because when you look at the situation that was at Madrid, there's a lot of deep-rooted problems whereby you've got guys like Luka Modric, Toni Kroos and Casemiro who are holding those three midfield positions um, and in and, and those three players, Zinedine Zidane has complete and unwavering trust. You know, he, he, he they're the guys that he can rely on just as with Marcello, Sergio Ramos, Karim Benzema, Danny Carvajal. These are the guys who essentially won uh, three successive European Cups for him. You know, he has complete trust in them. Yeah. And at Madrid, these situations are always, there's always an element of political uh, power play going on, as it were. You know, and Sabayos, he's viewed very favourably by the club's president, Florentino Perez. And this is similar, in a way, to the Gareth Bale situation, whereas Zidane probably looks at those two players. He doesn't really get on with them at a personal level. They don't really fit his ideal system. And Zidane probably would have been happy to see Ceballos depart permanently this summer. You know, yeah. um, the Perez in the club they stood firm, and I think the, the unlike the Bale situation, the fans definitely back uh, Ceballos here, and and just finally, I mean, this has probably led to a situation whereby you know Sabio's hasn't been getting a fair crack of the whip at Madrid. He's become he's become frustrated. He's made a few comments in the press, which were probably a bit critical of his situation, they they irritated Zidane a wee bit more um, and the opportunities he's been given in the first team, he's almost looked a little bit too keen to impress, you know, he's always looked like he really wanted to make his mark I think think that that's probably a little bit of an indicator that he still lacks a little bit of self-discipline, which is probably as well his biggest what is his biggest criticism yeah. at the moment. But I mean bear in mind this guy's only twenty two years old, you know. Um he's a guy he, he's from Andalusia, you know, and and as I as I write about my book and everything else, I mean this is an area which is very passionate and Ceballos is very passionate. He's a fiery player, you know, he wears his heart on his sleeve and I think he's got plenty of attributes that Arsenal fans are going to love.
1: Yeah, so I mean when we talk about what he might bring to the team and what what he might uh... What he might contribute to the Premier League, you know, from a loan point of view, he's either going out on loan to really impress Real Madrid to get a place back there or it becomes a shop window kind of loan for him. So sometimes you see a player go on loan and you wonder... You know, do they have what it takes? Are the reasons for this loan sufficient? Is he just going to play because he just wants to play? But for Ceballos at 22 years of age, this is a key point in his career, isn't it? Where it's either going to get him, uh, you know, back into the Madrid side or make the powers that be at Madrid think, okay, he does have a future here. Or drive real interest in him, whether it's from Arsenal if he likes it at Arsenal or in the Premier League or other clubs across Europe. So the motivation factor for him is very high.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely, and, and I think um, this is this is a move which I must confess took me a little bit um, by surprise. Not not the fact that Madrid were prepared to, to loan him out, even though I think that that's a mistake on, on the part of the club. Uh, I think it's it's a, it's a move that, that's going to hurt them next season. But the reason I was a bit surprised was that. You know, it was mentioned Ceballos, he's from Andalusia, um, and I think Andalusian players probably appear to struggle a little bit disproportionately when going abroad, uh, compared to some others. Um, Is there any
1: any reason for that in particular, or is it because that that region of Spain is, um, insular is maybe not the right word, but it's it's quite... um, What's the word I'm looking for here? There goes my jet like brain when I'm talking to you about this. But, you know, the, the, the players from there, they don't seem to always travel as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think I think in generally, I mean, we we can generalize a little bit here, but they're probably, you know, Andalusians are typically very family oriented people. You know, they're, they're very they're very they're very keen on their traditions and their home comforts, so are, are generally very significant for them. And, and I think a, a very good example of that is, is Jesus Navas. He's currently the captain of Sevilla. He, he you know, we most listeners are probably familiar from Manchester City, but he notoriously got very homesick earlier in his career um, when it, when he got call ups to the Spanish youth matches. He only reluctantly agreed to actually go because he. He found out he'd be bunking with his friend Sergio Ramos, who, you know, he's also from Seville. So you, you, you look at that and Seballos, he's from the Sevillian town of Utrera, which he actually shares with the late um, Jose Antonio Reyes. Um, and that's just outside the city of Seville. It has a population of just 50,000. So, it's a, whenever Sabyas was going up, Reyes was 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 an idol for him essentially, and he actually Sabyas spoke to the, to Reyes, his dad, before he joined Arsenal. You know, he, he said about how he was insured that this is the right club for him. You know, this is going to be a club where he was looked after, where he's going to be afforded the conditions in which he could thrive. And I think ultimately, the most important thing as well is that Unai Emery is you know Unai Emery sir, you know Unai is going to help him, and he's he's also said that you know he's going to be able to promise him forty or more matches within the season you know Mm -hmm. and whenever you you factor in your Europa League football this is going to be Sabayos is going to be a player who who, if he avoids injury, is going to be a regular in the team, and that that's definitely going to help with any with any sort of adaptation process. He's not going to be somebody who's sidelined or who's on the fringes. Should all go to plan, yeah. And there's also there's also there's also already a Spanish contingent of players at the club, and I don't think that was necessarily the case when Reyes came in, um, 16 years previously. So that those things are going to help. I think ultimately you have to look at this. This is a brave move for Ceballos. It's it's somewhat of a statement from Arsenal, even though this is just certainly initially a short term move because. There's there's no question over Ceballos' ability, his potential, and I think it would have been easy for Ceballos to move back to Betis this summer or to move back to Sevilla this summer because there was interest in him from both those clubs. It could have been easy for him to stay in Spain to, 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 to prove what, what he can show to, to to those clubs, to Madrid and the the Spanish press. But he's, he's decided to take this plunge and to go abroad, and I think, I think he's to be applauded for that. I don't think it was an easy decision for him, but I think it was a brave one. And... I mean, it's very hard to tell just just how this is going to affect long term. I mean, if, if he stars for Arsenal this season, what Madrid are going to think. Is Zidane still going to be at Madrid? All these factors are going to come into play. But I think Arsenal have certainly got themselves an absolutely exceptional talent.
1: All right. Well, I mean, the, the, the fact that there is a Spanish contingent, Hector Bellerin, Nacho Monreal, of course, and the, the coaching staff, along with Unai Emery, will, will definitely help his... adaptation. So let's talk a little bit about what kind of a player he is because if you look at him from a pure numbers point of view, um, you know, he hasn't played a great deal uh, for Real Madrid, but, you know, over the course of something like I think 100 La Liga games, he has seven goals and four assists, which is not really that great if you're looking for him to be a player uh, to perhaps fill something of the gap that Aaron Ramsey has left since his departure to Juventus. You know, you talked about untapped potential or having the potential to be a really good player is that a part of his game that uh, has yet to be fully developed or is he a different kind of a player is he somebody who will link more uh, between the defense and and the attacking side of the game you know what are his best qualities and what can and should Arsenal fans expect him to contribute
0: well I think first and foremost um so else is, is the type of player who's going to get fans on their feet you know he's, he's he's got the ability to light up a game. He, I mean, he he can play in a deeper midfield role where he can dictate the tempo of the play a little bit more. But I've always thought he's looked most most at home and most effective in a slightly more advanced position, whereby he can take players on. You know, he can draw the opposition out of their positions. You know, when he can open up spaces um, for other teammates, and and that's certainly that's certainly something that he that he can do. Um, and again. There's, there's been a few questions: is, is this a guy who's going to adapt to to the sort of rough and tumble um, of the Premier League? And I would say there's there's not many doubts about that actually. Because despite his somewhat somewhat wary figure and, and frame, he's actually a really tough competitor. You know, he's very familiar with being targeted and, and sometimes manhandled by opposition teams. So. I actually think that in many ways he he's an ideal replacement for Aaron Ramsey. Um, I think you know he's definitely he's definitely got the the natural talent, and whilst his his numbers in terms of goals and assists output might not be. Might not be the most the most obvious. I don't. I'm not necessarily sure that that's exactly what he contributes. I think. I think what he does is more. He generates. He generates the moves that that, that then that then lead to goals and that lead to the game opening up slightly. And I think that there's probably okay. There's there's a little bit of a question mark over consistency, but that's that's naturally going to be there if he hasn't been if he hasn't been getting first team football. I really. I don't. I don't see a reason why he cannot star in the Premier League. Um, and immediately become one of its one one of its most highly rated midfield players. And, and again, he's somebody that can play in a number of midfield positions. And I think I think I think that's just a natural strength of his. And I think that's something that that fans are going to see over the course of the season. His
1: passing range. Talk to me a little bit about that and his ability on the ball in possession because I think Arsenal fans have been looking for somebody in midfield to perhaps bring some of the qualities that we lost when Santi Cazorla left and Cazorla, you know, is an exceptional, almost unique talent in terms of what he can do with a football. So I don't want to, like, heap that amount of pressure on Ceballos in in that regard. But is that something that he can do or those shoes that he can come close to to filling in terms of how he uses the ball
0: yeah i think i think there's just there's probably a slight difference in terms of because was obviously a player who was a who was absolutely um magnificent in terms of he was a he was a magician on the ball you know he was an excellent technician very technically gifted and i think i think Sabios uh encompasses Encompasses those qualities too, although I, I think his style of play is a little bit different because sort of was somebody who very much, very much whenever he got the ball, was very calm and possession. You know, he, he could slow things down and speed things up um, and, and sort of dictate the game in that sense. And whilst Ceballos does that, I think Ceballos is also more of a player who enjoys. Who who okay he's certainly capable of the passing range um and he's certainly capable of the technique but I think he enjoys being on the ball a lot more and taking players on quite a bit more and driving the game a bit more just 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 making things happen he tries to force uh, the the situation slightly more than I say Casola would and I think I think in the, in that sense he's probably a little bit more. Uh, traditional in, term, in terms of a, in terms of a British style of play and we said there about how oh, he could that can maybe slightly help his adoption to the Premier League. But he's a, he's a player that that will that will try tricks that he will try he will try to. Maybe not embarrass his opponent, but certainly he's not—he's not, he's not going to shy away from from pulling off moves that are little. They, may, they could be seen as audacious. He he can take risks, you know. And he, he's as I said about his bravery, he's not afraid to to make his mark in a game and, and stamp his authority on it. And that, as I said, tends to attract uh, a situation whereby teams try to try to take him out of the game essentially whether whether it's physically by man marking him or whatever else. So he's somebody that makes the, the opposition team think and he's somebody that makes the opposition team change their plans. And again, whilst this is something that maybe didn't didn't quite have its same impact at Real Madrid, um, this is something that could really have an impact in the Premier League because he's somebody whose natural talent I think will will naturally stand out. And I think it's somebody that that, that if opponents don't get a handle of, they could very easily find themselves losing the midfield battle.
1: Yeah, is there something to be said for um, giving him some responsibility in that, you know, you you talked about how... Quickly, he made his breakthrough at Real Betis. He didn't come through the B team; he was straight into the senior team and seemed obviously to 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 relish that. And it got him ultimately a move to, to Real Madrid. At Real Madrid, there are senior players in front of him, who Zidane and other coaches have had a bit more faith in. Understandably so, because of their 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 quality, I guess. When you're talking about the likes of Cruz and Modric, etc., etc. Um, but for Spain in the Under 21 uh, European Championships uh, uh, this year, obviously. Spain won it. He was a standout player in the previous tournament as well, where he would have just naturally had a bit more uh, responsibility on the pitch placed in him by the coach. It, you know, is that part of part of what makes um, his qualities emerge?
0: Yeah, I, exactly. And I think that we that we that we spoke there about how how at Real Madrid he became frustrated he's somebody that as I said he's very passionate so whenever these whenever he doesn't get afforded the opportunity or or the prominence within a team that he thinks he deserves he tends to he tends to let that get to him a little bit and I think maybe there's maybe a similarity to be drawn a little bit with with how he he conducts himself with with possibly a younger Wayne Rooney um whenever he was at Everton and then Man United somebody who's Somebody who's who's very who's very very fiery. Um, and whilst I think I think whereas with Rooney that that sort of I'm not, I'm not sure how the best the best way of describe this is, but that kind of the passion was contained and streamlined in a certain way. I don't think that's quite happened with Ceballos yet. You know, this so so by giving him the opportunity to to really take control of a game and, and to really give him the prominence within a team, you know, like you're, you're our man essentially to be yeah. telling him that. I think that uh, that could add that extra little bit of maturity that he probably does need now the important thing is that cannot be allowed then to curb what he already has you know because his his game is essentially like you you're, you're going to take risks you 're going to run and you're going to take people on and and everything else you you're, you're going to try to you're going to try to dictate things you 're going to try to to draw people in and everything else so that that in itself takes takes almost like this this sort of childlike kind of innocence within the game. You know that, that it's something that maybe gets curbed a little bit within players, but mm. it's something that fans really, really love to see. Uh, and it's something that, as I said, make, makes the game a lot more enjoyable to watch. So I think, I think there needs to be a balance here. Whereas, yes, Ceballos, we've spoken about his need to mature a little bit more. And and also, but I think if he has the trust of his coach, and I think that he his trust of his teammates as well. I think that's very important for him. And, and you saw that at the under-21 level. And, you know, if that happens at Arsenal, and I don't see a reason why it wouldn't, then I don't see why he wouldn't be able to start.
1: A few people um, have raised the issue of his character and you talk about him not being intimidated on the pitch. There's a sort of a social media history which doesn't necessarily reflect that well on him where he talked about, you know, blowing up a stadium and, uh, you know, he, he told Catalans to get out of the country and, you know, this would never have happened under Franco. You know, I think, um, how, how is that sort of thing viewed in Spain now? Is it put down to youthful indiscretion, lack of maturity? Is it something that he has? Um, is it something he's learned from? I, I don't think those tweets are available, but, you know, he he made reference to um, the size of Iker, Iker um manhood and what have you. You know, 18-year-olds often say things that uh, are a bit stupid and and that they come to regret, but, you know, he's going to be working with a Basque coach, for example. Um, that doesn't seem to have put Unai Emery off, but, you know, is there some... Um, some worry about that side of him, or is that something that he, you know, looks to have matured from?
0: Um, no, I, th- I don't think there's any there's any real worry about that. And actually, it's quite it's quite rare, is it? Obviously, in Spanish football, you mm. know, uh, they they love controversy, they love. They love to stir things up a little bit, um, and and that actually that actually is something that hasn't really been covered at all um, in in the past few years. It's something that I think I think people recognise the fact that whenever Savio sent um, the majority of those of those messages, he was you know he was a teenager. Um, he was obviously grown up, probably grown up um, not not quickly enough. But you know this this is all it's all about a maturity process and. And I think whenever players are then exposed to, to the wider kind of culture and, and the wider the wider sense of outside their own little comfort zone, you know, and Zobaios has gone on to, to play with many more players at an underage level for Spain. You know, he's, he's been with the senior team um, and obviously at Real Madrid too. And and the move over to England is just going to speed that up. You know, he, he's going to be exposed to, to a lot more than what maybe what was was the case earlier on in his career. And again, you know, maturity is, is, is obviously going to be a question. And he did, as I said earlier. You know, he made comments um, last year about Zinedine Zidane. Whenever he initially left the club, he said that you know the, the, there was never much of a relationship. That I wasn't given a proper opportunity mm. under him. And then, whenever Zidane came back, there was quotes attributed to him that were pretty much saying, you know, you know, this 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 isn't good news for me. You know, this this is something that's that's, that's gonna that's gonna kind of stall my progress, as it were. Um, and that's that's something that, that didn't make sense um, for him to say because obviously by, by saying that he's not he's not exactly going to get into Dan's good books and, no. and by going to the press I mean that that's obviously a mistake it shows a lack of maturity it shows a lack of a lack of awareness of, of what he needs to do to really to really knuckle down um, and the impress in his own way and, and I think listen you know. His situation um, at Madrid was unfair, but he should not have been going off and saying things like that. It just it shows that he hasn't been, he probably hasn't been very well advised in his career. But li- listen, in terms of the, in terms of those sorts of comments, it certainly hasn't been anything that's come up um, publicly in the past few years. He appears really to have to have learned um, on that side of things at least. Mm. And again, you know, he's, he's still only twenty two years old, but. I think this this is a guy who who's who's probably going to grow up a lot in the next season too. Um, and being away from home is only going to accelerate that. Yeah.
1: Well, look, if there's a communications team in the world that will ensure he doesn't say anything controversial uh, in the next twelve months, it's the Arsenal one. Um, j- just finally on on Ceballos, how is the, the the news of his transfer being received in Spain? Um, you know, what what's is it being viewed as a real opportunity for him, or or kind of a a step down? Even though you know, regardless. Of where you go, very few places you know have the kind of uh history and, and prestige as Real Madrid. So uh, how is it being viewed in the press there?
0: Generally the the reaction has been one of probably slight disappointment um in terms of the Madrid. Certainly so I think I think Madrid fans are certainly disappointed that Sabios has been allowed to go. Um the media had kind of drummed it up for a while, although I think I think that the fact that there had been a sense that Madrid could have been willing to sell, sell to sell Ceballos permanently although I think he his performances this summer the under 21 championships um probably probably ruled that out as an option altogether i certainly for now but yet yeah there's probably there's there's a sense of disappointment there's a sense that that this kind of whilst Whilst it could be seen as a mistake, it also is sort of the Madrid strategy. I mean, they've spent over three hundred million euros in transfers this summer, and there's been a lot of players who've, who've subsequently left the club, and and almost all of those players have been young Spanish, um, young Spanish players who. Who have been very highly rated at, 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 within their careers, but but they haven't been able to see first team football at Madrid. So it's not just Sabyas that's affected. You've seen Marcus Lorente, who's gone to Atletico Madrid. Yeah, Teo Hernandez has joined Milan. Raul de Tomas has gone to Benfica, and there's been a host of others who've gone too. And and also the sense that Marco Asensio has then suffered this this sort of season season end and in injury, as it were, um, against Arsenal in the friendly, ironically, and, and that was that was something that people maybe thought even though these two guys didn't play in the exact same positions there's a real sense that there's that there's an identity being lost here because madrid had really under under Florentino perez did they kind of initially moved away from this policy of signing galactico style players and, and they'd focused instead on signing all these sort of promising young spanish players and ultimately the model field because they weren't given they weren't given the first team opportunities that that, that maybe they thought they deserved and that in in a sense, clash. That was the initial clash with Zidane, who who was picking the team, and and you know, he he wasn't really prepared to introduce these guys a wee bit more regularly. So so yeah, I think I think there's a sense that this was probably an inevitable decision. I think most Madrid fans would want to see to see Sabio's back in in the team. Uh, Next, next year although whether as, as we've spoken before there, there's so many factors that that's dependent upon but yet this is a, again it is it it's just is worth stressing just how much potential this guy has and i think of all the players to leave madrid this summer i would probably i would probably go as far as saying that he is the standout the standout candidate i i still cannot see why he I don't. I don't know why he, he's not being called upon for first team duties at Madrid next season, especially mm. with the form of their, of their current midfielders. And I, as, as I said, I really do think this is an, a very, very, very impressive deal for Arsenal. It's a statement signing, and it could be. It could be the difference next season between a top three, a top four spot, and again missing out. So yeah, I, I think I think Madrid fans and, and the Madrid media recognise that too, but. There's a sense that this was very much an inevitable situation from their end.
1: All right. Well, look, it sounds very promising from an Arsenal point of view because there are places up for grabs in that midfield, and certainly if a player of his character and potential can can really kick on and develop his game, it can only be uh, a good thing for Arsenal. Before we go, Colin, you've got a, a new book coming out on uh, the twelfth of August. It's called "The Frying Pan of Spain: Sevilla versus versus Real Betis, Spain's hottest football rivalry," and people will, uh, you know, observers of La Liga will think well what about the the um the Barcelona Real Madrid rivalry which we've all seen play out on TV you know, the Ronaldo Messi thing and and just traditionally uh, El Clasico is the one that everybody looks at as the biggest rivalry in Spain well, you know, there's a, a separation of some hundreds of kilometers between Barcelona and Real Madrid, and it's predicated on them being traditionally the two biggest clubs in Spain, Betis and Sevilla almost side by side. What, what exactly is this book going to tell us about that rivalry?
0: Yeah, um, and, and as you said, the book the book's called the frying pan of Spain, and that that is what the city of yeah. of Seville is, is is referred to within within the nation, and that's that's obviously the theme that I played on in terms of its football rivalry as well, and obviously we've spoken a lot about Dani Ceballos and how. He, Ceballos is a player who's very, you know, uh, he's very passionate. He's, he's fiery and he, he's very, he'd be quite emotional too. And that, those are qualities that sum up um, Andalusians in general. They sum up the city of Seville and they sum up, they sum up both football clubs and, and um, Real Betis and Sevilla and the rivalry that they share. So, I've tried to explain that. I've tried to explain why. By by delving into the sort of the Spanish culture and and the football and the footballing culture too, that why why this game so special, why these two clubs are so significant um, with, within Spain itself, and and I think that when when you know, people are very very familiar with Sevilla over the past decade, obviously winning the five uh, Europa League titles, which is you know unprecedented in European football. Um, but sometimes when you mention Real Betis, a lot of people from outside of Spain are like real who and a lot of people aren't even aware that they play in Seville and that mm. there's this really really incredible doorway with Sevilla so I've tried to I've tried to explain just just why this is such a massive deal within Spain and I think as well that, that most Spanish football fans um, whilst they're always very sort of proud of their own club and their own sort of rivalries that they have a lot of them look to Seville and they're like yeah you know that 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 that's the real one that stands out. So I try, I tried to explain that um within the book um, and just just why this game's so significant, why the two clubs are very authentic as it were because we mentioned Barcelona and Real Madrid. And obviously a lot of the media coverage sort of gravitates gravitates towards them, but then there's a sense as well. If you go to a Madrid game, if you go to a game at the Camp Nou, that you know there's, there's so many yeah, and it's like, this is not the fault of the clubs but there's an overwhelming number of tourists that go there and, and there's certainly a feeling that this is very much a kind of packaged experience um, certainly in terms of a match day point of view um, whereas if you go to a Seville a uh, Seville derby certainly but even even a, a standard Sevilla Real Betis home game it's a very authentic experience you know this is, you're surrounded by season ticket holders you're surrounded by people who live in the city who breathe the clubs and who are engulfed in this in this rivalry you know and this split the thing is as well Seville's a city which is which is genuinely 50-50 split down the middle and it's 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 all these ingredients that make it that make it a really fascinating mix and it's unparalleled I think certainly certainly within within Western Europe, um, that, that situation and that backdrop so, yeah, I mean, I was lucky enough to go over and live there um, and, uh, and you know, sort of immerse myself in the rivalry and then within the clubs and the fans. And it's such such a special, special experience. So I've tried to convey that through the book. Um, but certainly there's, there's also uh, plenty of links to Arsenal as well. Obviously, you know, I am, he's you know, currently, currently the manager of Arsenal, of course, and he, yeah. he was magnificently successful at Sevilla. And um, there's also quite a lot of time devoted to Jose Antonio Reyes as well. And, you know, obviously that, that news... Earlier this summer was something that that, that really that really rocked the city again, mm. um, and it sort of the sense as well that Reyes was very close a very close friend of Antonio Puerta, who died um, just 12 years previously. You know, he just 22, and and Seville it's a city that, that seems to be continually hit by by these tragic events. By and again, this is something that it sort of builds up in the sense that it's a very Emotional city, anyway, and all these things that, that all these terrible like, tragedies, essentially, that have happened. It's it's something that it, that kind of pulls at the heartstrings a little bit, and and it really it really. It really adds the layer of mutual respect between the clubs, and, and they always come together when something like this happens. But they, there's no sense that there's any there's any passion or, or, or anything that's lost within the rivalry itself. By that, in fact, it, it's just added to because of that. So, yeah, it, it's a really it's a really unique experience, and I implore anybody who hasn't been to Seville, who hasn't been to the games, to go out there. To go out there certainly and take it in, um, and yeah, to get a copy copy of the book as well. Hopefully, of course, <laughs> hopefully, um, hopefully people people enjoy it, and hopefully hopefully it does does it justice because yeah, it's something that I've devoted a lot of time to, and. And yeah, it's it's uh, it's a very special, very special occasion.
1: All right. Well, it's uh, it really is an amazing city. If you've never been, you really should try and uh, try and get there. And if you can get there for for a derby, and you can get yourself a ticket, uh, more to the point, uh, make make sure that happens. It's published by Pitch Publishing Limited. It's available on the twelfth of August. It's called The Frying Pan of Spain: Sevilla versus Real Betis, Spain's hottest football rivalry. Uh, best of luck with the book, Colin. And thank you very much indeed for uh, giving us the background on Dani Ceballos. That was Colin Miller. You can follow him on Twitter at Miller underscore Colin. That is at Miller underscore Colin. And the book, you can pick that up when it comes out in August. Sounds like a cracker. Something to add to, I'm sure, your already extensive football reading list. Right, I'm going to leave it there. This afternoon, I will be recording an ArsCast Extra with James. That'll be available probably around 5 p.m. UK time. In the meantime, take it easy. Thanks as ever for listening. Catch you on the next one. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye.